0: And as I wrote it, I was like, this is a really good story about parenting, because all parents get a diagnosis somewhere along the way. Maybe it's not Down syndrome, maybe it's later, but it was really about like, how do you sort of step up to the plate, play the game and continue with grace and dignity and live the life that you've been given. I
1: I love your haircut thank you it's so
0: cute (laughs) I literally just got it like I was trying so hard to grow it out so it's been like like you'll see in the book one picture it's just like here yeah and I finally was like you know what I called this woman who comes to my house and she'll come like irregularly like every once a year or once every 16 months and I'm like just cut it just cut it all off how funny it's like okay and she did she did a good
1: job thank you so you wrote a book
0: I wrote a book.
1: (laughs) You wrote a book about your wonderful son, Owen. Yes. So tell me about this book. So, okay.
0: So I
1: guess I wasn't
0: very successful in business because the last three jobs I had, I've been laid off. Oh,
1: really? As an executive. Why does that mean? (laughs) That that doesn't mean that that was you. (laughs) But I found
0: that it was almost like the universe telling me, Mm -hmm. it's time to do something you really love. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, you just keep sort of sidling that way thinking, and I had always been a writer. So I was always writing when my son was a year old, which we didn't know he had Down syndrome until he was seven days old. Mm -hmm. So we were very sideswiped by the the diagnosis Mm -hmm. and he was my first. Mm -hmm. So what do you do with that? Mm -hmm. You have no role models. (laughs) You have no siblings to say, okay, I know what a typical kid is like. So, and I grew up with eight brothers and sisters. Oh my goodness. So I'm number six. Um, So there was that whole thing. And so I just, um, I wrote what I thought was going to be a book when he was about a year old thinking I need to get all this down. And I kept a journal since I was five weeks pregnant. Wow. Never having any idea he would have Down syndrome.
1: Wow. Yeah.
0: So I kind of wrote something and then I thought it's not enough. There's not really a story there because- you can't just write about the first year of someone's life with Down syndrome. Like, what is the story? Mm-hmm. And I put it away like any good writer does. I put it in my, the side of my drawer and left it there. And just years later as like another business that I just was not struggling with and it wasn't working out and I ended up getting laid off. And I just thought now's the time. Like I, sh- I started consulting as a marketing person and PR And my, my life had always been writing. Like, you know, you do marketing, do PR, you write web stories, you write press releases, you write, I was doing journalism for a long time. So writing had always been there, Mm -hmm. but it was about putting it into sort of a creative nonfiction story. Got it. So I did what um, people had told me in other ways, hire somebody if you don't know how to do something. So I hired a book coach Oh, great! and Kim O'Hara and she was great. Oh, am I allowed to say her name? Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. if, you, if, you, if she's okay with it, we're okay yeah. with it.
0: Um, and she really helped me pull out sort of the essence of the story. Mm-hmm. Of course, I read a lot of memoirs and there's a whole way that memoirs are structured. So mm-hmm. they're really about a time. You, you don't just throw up your whole life on the paper and go chronologically. You really try to pull out just the pieces for that particular story. Mm-hmm. And as I wrote it, I was like, this is a really good story about parenting because all parents get a diagnosis somewhere along the way. Maybe it's not down syndrome, maybe it's later, but it was really about like, how do you sort of step up to the plate, play the game and continue with grace and dignity and live the life that you've been given. Right. So that's kind of what I did. And, and it was like, it took about three years. I started my first draft. I started in 2019 I wrote that during 2020. So COVID was really good because I had <laughs> time. <laughs> we all had time, right? Yep. Nothing but time. And then I hired an editor. Like I kind of had to hire a lot of people to get it in the shape to where I felt like it was worth putting out to beta readers and getting people to read it. And then I went out to about 12 beta, 10 or 12 beta readers, and I said, I need you to tell me. I give them a list of questions, like what's good, what's bad, what You know, is there any awkward parts with the character, with my role or any of the roles? And I was expecting like all this feedback. And I literally got people going, it's amazing. You have to get it out there. Wow. (laughs) That's awesome. So that that was kind of a big like boost to say, I really need to publish it. And one of them was... One of the beta readers was my son's fifth grade teacher. And she was like, even educators need to read this. It's really important because I touch on inclusion, Mm -hmm. which as you know, our kids went to middle school. We did inclusion for Owen from second grade on Mm -hmm. and the school he went to, Uh it really, it was, he was the first kid there with Down syndrome. So we had to kind of, who was included. Right. So we sort of had to set the process for him Mm -hmm. in elementary school, then middle school, And even high school. Mm -hmm. And there have been kids with Down syndrome who have followed him in that path because the path was there. Because he said it.
1: Because you guys said it. Yeah. That's amazing. So Georgia and Owen went to middle school together. Mm -hmm. So I know you from middle school. Yeah. I can't say I know you very well, but I definitely Mm -hmm. would know your name and say hi to you on the street. If we were at Trader Joe's, I'd go, Suzanne, and remember you very well. From uh, middle school, but we have a friend in common that I am still close close to, Christy, who told me about your book. And I was like, oh, my God, I would love to talk (laughs) to you about your book because Owen was very much included. He was really a part of their class. There was no difference between Owen and any other kid in their program at their school, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that was your experience with other parents or other kids. But as I observed, he seemed very included. And that
0: is a testimony to when he was when he was young, I, my husband and I both agreed life was not going to be a special needs class. Mm-hmm. So how do we make that the reality? Mm-hmm. And if if you believe life is always going to be a special needs class, what happens when you're not in class? Mm-hmm. So that was where inclusion came into play where we pushed for inclusion in his elementary school, which we didn't get to until second grade mm-hmm. because we, as I said first, first child. I listened to what the school district said and those classes weren't appropriate for him. Now I'm just talking about my scenario because for every parent it's different. For every child inclusion looks different. Mm-hmm. To me, inclusion is about find where you can be included. Mm-hmm. Maybe some people need that structure of that small classroom, but then go to the park, put your kid out on the, in the park with all the other kids. Like inclusion can be found anywhere. Totally. I didn't, I took my kid, I took him to, we went to museums together. We went to the zoo together. We did everything other parents did. Mm-hmm. I feel like I finally started to get the sense of, oh yeah, now he has to learn to be independent mm-hmm. because elementary school is great. It's like this womb, it's warm and soft and the teachers love our kids and you handhold them to the teacher and the teacher hands him back, right? right? So middle school is where suddenly kids are walking to school being dropped off walking to the walking to the liquor store down the street right right going to the ice cream place yeah and I needed to find a way to like how do I make him be able to be more to navigate campus mm-hmm. to be able to just at the end of the day how is he going to be able to live on his own? how is he going to be able to manage life on his own if I don't start with baby steps right So even so much as the first day of middle school I thought, Yeah, I walked to the gate. I'm like, hey, my kid has a disability, walking him into class thinking that's what we do. But then I realized that's so wrong. I got to stop that. So each step was I just sent him through the gate. And the next thing was I'd park the car down the street. Then I parked around the street and I was like, okay, go to school. So bit by bit, I gave him that ability to be able to move on his own through his landscape. Mm -hmm. And they were small baby steps, but now he's at Ventura College. He takes two classes a week. And I drop him off at the corner of campus and he walks to campus, across campus to his class, just like any other college student.
1: That's so great. So. That, that, that's what you said about inclusion being where you, where it's appropriate, I think is really important too. Mm-hmm. I know Isla, I don't know if you know this, but Isla is um, pretty significantly dyslexic. Okay. And she does, she has an IP. She was identified in first grade. I saw it in, when she was four, I was like, she's not. Like, she's not plugging in to letters, no interest, and it didn't. Instinctly, it didn't feel right. You right. know, I did have an older child who is super, well, she's not super academic, but she's a very typical learner, like just hit every mark when she was supposed right. to. So I was like, hmm, something's not connecting here. Um, and Isla was not a very verbal child. She was very a physical child, mm-hmm. but she didn't express herself verbally. She spoke at the appropriate age, but it was, you know, one or two words as opposed to, you know, Georgia who was like, I would like to smell the flowers, mommy. <laughs> and, and I would just go, uh. <laughs> and you're like, okay, are we smelling the flowers? Great. So I knew that the way that she processed language was different than Georgia, mm-hmm. but not necessarily different than other kids. Until we got to preschool, four year old preschool, three year old, she was fine. Mm-hmm. And I asked the preschool teacher, "What do you think about this?" And she was like, "Ah, oh, you know, she's just she's a young, she's a summer birthday, and she'll outgrow it." And I went, "Okay." We got to kindergarten. I was like, my kid's really smart. Like when we're talking about dolls or dogs or when we're at the park playing and she's chattering with me, really smart kid. She's the only kid in kindergarten that doesn't have her ABCs. Interesting that she's the only one. What's going on? And the the elementary school was like, she's just a late bloomer, summer. And I was like, "Mm, I just don't. mm." Okay. And then we got to first grade and by Christmas her first grade, teacher went, something's going on. Mm -hmm. I think she's dyslexic. Let's have her tested. And she was actually um, dyslexic. But in kindergarten, when I saw that she was the only kid in her class that did not have her ABCs, I started a Girl Scout troop. And I went, I'm inviting all the girls in her class that she likes because that's going to be a leveler. That's gonna level everybody out. It's not about reading a book. It's right. not about doing a math equation. It's about uh, at that age, arts and crafts and um, soft skills. How to right. you know how to play with each other and how to talk to each other and how to work together to do a project. And I was like, if I can do that and level the playing field for her, then hopefully she can carry some of that into the classroom so that her peers will see that she's just like them. She just doesn't read the same way everybody else does. Um, And I think it really was one of, I don't know how I thought to do that. I don't know where that came from in my own. It's called mom instinct. It's something, (laughs) right? Because you
0: had like, that's the thing we, you had the instinct that something wasn't right. Mm-hmm. And I think what I love about that is, first of all, I believe every child has a disability, right? Everybody has a disability. Oh, totally. Somehow, somewhere we all do, whether uh-huh. it's a big one or, or a small one or a hidden one or completely visible. I agree. But when we decided to put Owen into uh, his elementary school, we held him back that grade so that he repeated second grade and... I thought, well, we don't know anyone. We had lived in our neighborhood. We moved to our neighborhood so that we could go to this school. Mm-hmm. And then he couldn't go to the school. And he had to go to another school because we put him in the special day class, which was like five miles away. And I was like the kid, I was like the mom, like a kid in a candy store. I walked by that school and I wanted him in that school so badly, we kept being turned away. Hmm. And it was the school district's way of saying, we don't, you know, pushing us kindly away from inclusion until we said, enough. We want him in our elementary school. He deserves to go to school in our neighborhood school, Mm -hmm. least restrictive environment. Right. And we never lawyered up. We didn't have to, but we had to at some point take a a really strong stand. Mm -hmm. And it, it just, once we got in there, then it was like a whole different set of like, now how do we navigate this? Because the school had not had anyone with Down syndrome in their... School for as long as they could remember. Wow. Is what one of the office staff said. And I swear she'd been working there for at least 20, 30 years. Wow. So first when he started second grade, I decided to take this. There's an essay called Welcome to Holland. And it was written by a mother who has a child with Down syndrome. And it was about, it was an allegory about how you want to go on a trip and you're going to go to Italy. So you pack your bags and you learn the language and you get really immersed in it. And you get on the plane and they you land and they say, welcome to Holland. Mm. You're like, but I didn't want to go to Holland. And everyone's coming back from Italy saying how great it is. And you'll always regret that you didn't get to go. But one day you wake up and you realize there's tulips and there's art and it's a beautiful city. Yeah, It's not Italy, but it's its own quiet beauty. Right. And so I took this this essay and then I wrote a letter to all the parents just saying, my son with Down syndrome is in your class. Your students might might, you know, they'll meet him. He has Down syndrome. This is what it means. I was very, layman's term, very basic. If you want to explain to them what that means, here's a way to do it. But also know that he likes One Direction and he loves Scooby-Doo and he likes boy bands and he has a sibling who likes this. So he's a lot like your child too. Yeah. And so we sent that, I had to get it approved by the principal. We sent it to all the parents in the classroom. I had so many parents coming up and saying, what a great letter. It was so beautiful. And, you know, by the way, my child, my other child had this issue or that issue. But once I put it out there, the kids were like, so he's part of our landscape. Kids just start curious. They just want to know. And once you explain it, they're like, okay,
1: cool. No big deal. And they normalize so quickly. Mm -hmm. And we, you know, Georgia broke her jaw when she was three, And I remember the doctor saying, don't apply what you think she, don't apply the pain you think she's in to her. She's not in that pain. Kids' Mm -hmm. bones aren't solid yet. They're still a little bit spongy. So you falling with this injury would be terrible. Her falling with this injury is not terrible. So don't apply what you think she's experiencing to her. Let her tell you Mm -hmm. what she's experiencing. If she's telling you it hurts and you give her some Tylenol, and she's good, don't worry about it. That's what should be going on. And that was such an amazing lesson to apply to all of her childhood and Isla's childhood about everything. Now, sometimes the opposite's true. You know, a girl not texting you back and thinking you've been ghosted is the end of the world. And as an adult, we're (laughs) like, not the end of the world. She may be grounded. She may be asleep. She may have a headache. Don't worry about it. Just see how it... But Like including Owen or someone like Owen, someone with some kind of distinction, something that's not um, something you see every day, perhaps in your day to day life is so easy for kids to just pivot into and lean into and appreciate in a different way. And we tend to apply what we think they think to them. That's true. I never even thought of that it is what we do and and what how are we supposed to know until someone says something like that mm-hmm. to you what are you supposed to think of course i think my daughter's in as much pain as i would think she would be in if she if i broke my jaw <laughs> but
0: she's not because we just have been through more pain for years <laughs> exactly more
1: experience of that and we have solid bones and theirs are not and mm-hmm. you know a lot of science to that but i don't know what really has what's been my experience with having a kid that i've had to um advocate for mm-hmm. since Uh, first grade and really get stern with and lose battles with districts Mm -hmm. and teachers. Uh, What I find interesting is we live in this, we live in California where everything is so liberal and inclusive and (laughs) empowered and everybody's the same, no matter race, sex, age, gender, Mm -hmm. national origin, all whatever. Everybody, we want everyone to feel included. Do you know they didn't recognize dyslexia as a disorder until Isla was in middle school?
0: They didn't.
1: It was not recognized. She had to get qualified for her IEP for something else to get services. Which is affects so many kids. One in one in five. One in five wow. children are dyslexic. So you go to my state of Georgia home, state of Georgia. And dyslexia is identified as soon as possible and remediated in every public school in the entire state right away.
0: Why are we so far behind? I
1: I, I don't. don't understand because Down syndrome and of the like children are just included in what I understand to be the state of Georgia's. Uh, I, I had Down syndrome children in my classroom when I was young. And, and what's funny is there's other states that don't. That you can't even
0: fight for it. There's just they're like it's it's not available. I have one woman who has um, a son, cutest little guy, and it's her youngest, and she's just desperate. So so parents are going and paying for private schools mm-hmm. to be able to put their child with Down syndrome in an inclusive setting. That's insane. Like how
1: how bad is that? That's that's pretty bad. I mean that's really bad. Listen, if a child. And by the way, it's not all
0: across the state of California. There are districts that don't have inclusion. We moved and we're not in the same district. And we moved Owen's senior year Mm -hmm. and it was tail end of COVID. And the first thing they said to me is, just so you know, inclusion's off the table. (gasps) And I said, well, he's 18 already. I'm like, just let him bake cookies and wash cars his last year. It'll be fun. And they kind of looked at me and- I was joking, half joking, Yeah, but I said, but he is to be allowed to do every single senior event that happens Mm -hmm. with, with whether he, if he needs supports, you're supporting him with that, Mm -hmm. but he is going to be allowed to do everything. There's not going to be any, he can't do some senior, you know, whatever the opportunities were. And they're like, okay, that's fair. And Turns out like as soon as, I mean, we went to, it was a big high school from compared to where he had been at. And as soon as he got onto campus within a week, he knew the campus. So that was fine because that's him. He memorizes things. He has this, his superpower is Mm -hmm. he can visually memorize things really well. And so the first week his teacher calls and she's like, well, Owen is leaving at lunchtime and going and sitting by somewhere else. And I said, so what's wrong with that? Yeah. Well, well, he can't do that. I said, it's a free period. Every student can go where they want, right? Well, you understand. I mean, it, it's, oh, he's under my care. I said, are you kidding me? Do we have to have a meeting so I can get it written into his IP so he can go sit at lunch where he wants to sit, which was of course by the cute girls, right, wherever they happen to be. Of course. <laughs> and once they realize, like, I don't know if they realized how inane it was that I had to, to put it out there like that, but they're like, okay, well, he's, he's fine. As long as you're okay with it. And he would be that kid that would just be like, he wanted his freedom and we had built that. Mm-hmm. How can you take that away now? Mm-hmm. That is what inclusion does. It offers them a piece of freedom mm-hmm. they may not have had before. Right. So consequently, he also tried out for the swim team, made varsity swim team. Amazing. I got him a little write up in the, in the local newspaper. That's amazing. <laughs> and then I actually... He got an award from the principal. I mean, he'd only been there his senior year. And it, the principal, I said, you know, d- doesn't he deserve like a good citizenship award or something? Because I was like, you know, senior awards, like we haven't been here long, but come on, he's made a difference in the school already. Yeah. And so the principal was like, well, I kind of decide on those awards, but thank you for pointing that out. So they gave him um, the principal's most inspirational award. Oh, his wow. Year.
1: <laughs> That's so great. So that's really awesome. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a, it's an interesting journey to have a a child that has a distinction that, that Mm -hmm. is recognizable, you know, even though to look at Isla, she looks Mm -hmm. like every other teenager, her age. But when you sit down and, and read a book with her, you go, Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. This is not, she should be reading better than this. If you're driving, you know what I mean? These two things don't compute. Um, (laughs) and going through the process of of college applications for her was really fascinating also. In that, I had so many people go, "Ooh, this is going to be tough." And I'm like, "Is it? Because I bet you at the college level, especially an art college, gets kids like my kid all the time. Like right. uh, she doesn't think like you you and I. She thinks like an artist right. or like a creative and that dyslexia is, gives her that superpower because she processes information and the world in a very different way. Um, so I think colleges are going to see it as an asset. They won't care if she's a C student if in whatever her focus is, she's thriving. Right. And uh, boy, the stress that, that she went through to go through the typical college application process was um, was not pleasant to watch. And as much as I tried to like steer the ship with right. the other adults in charge, I think some of them had a really hard time letting go of that typical path and seeing her as um, someone. And, you know, our attitude was, hey, if she applies to every college she wants to go and she doesn't go in, there's lots of places. for her to, We don't care. But But to have her not try for her dream and then deal with the consequence of not getting that dream is not real life. You know, in real life, sometimes you try for the cute boy and he doesn't like you. And you have to figure out, well, why? And what's wrong with me? And, And- And then you come to the conclusion that nothing's wrong with you. It just wasn't meant to be because the right path will rise to meet you kind of like getting laid off from a couple jobs. And then all of a sudden you're (laughs) writing the book that I'm talking about today. (laughs) That's how life works. In my opinion, that's how life works.
0: And so it's very interesting you bring up the whole college application and experience. So Owen, because he was included with typical kids since second grade and actually some of his best friends, like we just had lunch with his friend, Lauren, who's in the book. Um, they've known each other since second grade and she's now at Stanford. Mm-hmm. She's home on Thanksgiving break. We see her for, you know, we, she always makes a point to see him. Mm-hmm. So he has had this group of typical kids who, who he's aged up with. Mm-hmm. Well, he's now 20 they're on their second year of college. Mm-hmm. And so when they all were getting into Stanford and, you know, uh, Chapman and all these schools and he was hearing about it, he said, mom, I want to go to college too. And I was like, and so you shall. Right. <laughs> like, how am I going to do this? And so then I heard about a website called thinkcollege.net, which, you know, as with anything, you got to keep your eye on, you know, what's, what is going to happen with my son two years from now or whatever. I, he's not like a typical kid where I can say, he'll figure it out, he'll get a job, he'll work full, full time, get an apartment. And so I started looking at this and I was like, okay, we're in Ventura County now. So Ventura College has these neurodiverse classes. So mm-hmm. I said, you know, let, we'll apply there. So we do the application together. It's super modified and simple. He gets this, you know, this, and he had been wanting to go to university, right? Cause like all his friends are going away and living in the dorms. And so I said, but oh, and you know, I'm like, look, you got a letter from Ventura College. So we open it and I'm like, look, you got into Ventura College. And he looks at me and he's like, okay, so what? And I'm like, so what? You got into a college. That's huge. I had to convince him that it was college, even if it was just a community college. And so he was like, okay, mom, I guess you're right. I got into college. (laughs) But his expectations were so high. And so I had to kind of sit him down and say, look. You are on a different path. You are going to do this. And I'm pretty harsh sometimes with them. I'm like, this is what you're going to do. You're going to do this. You're going to get some credits. You're going to manage. You're going to learn a little bit of college. Then we will apply to some other colleges. Meanwhile, I'm like thinking there's all of three colleges in the state of California where he can live in a dorm-like or apartment setting, right? And all for kids who have a disability. So you Mm -hmm. have to have a verified disability. Mm -hmm. So we start looking. So I said, look, you do one year at Ventura College, just like your friends who are doing community college. Right. And we apply to universities. Yeah. So last year we find out about UC Davis. I convinced my other friend who has a daughter with Down syndrome, but um, her daughter has diabetes, so she can't necessarily live away from home at Mm -hmm. any point. She said, well, we can't really look at colleges because my daughter can't really go away. I said, okay, so maybe we have kids with Down syndrome doesn't mean we can't have a road trip and do a college experience looking at colleges. And I'm like, come on, let's do this. So we literally like, I convinced her to go with the two of us, with our two kids, went to UC Davis, spent three days there. It was so fun. And I said, see, it's kind of like if we squint, we can just pretend we are parents with typical kids.
1: (laughs) (laughs) But did the kids have fun?
0: They had fun. So Owen's like, I want to go to UC Davis. And we Ended up seeing a friend of ours' daughter up there when we were there. So we come home and I said, okay, let's apply. So we do our due diligence. He had been volunteering for, I did it, you know, I'm like, you got to have some experience, some work experience. We volunteered for the motion picture home Mm -hmm. in Woodland Hills. Mm -hmm. Um, We were working the memory care unit. So it was a really good experience for him because first of all, he had to learn the code to get on the floor because it's all people with Alzheimer's. They're not allowed off the floor you know, there's a very routine appeal to it because he likes routine. Mm-hmm. We had our certain people that gave us people where they're like, we need you to, these are the people that don't get a lot of visitors. So we did our round robin and we spent time with them once a week. It was really sweet. And he's always like, mom, we gotta go back and see my friends there. Um, and so, but funny enough, and I'll just digress for one, thing, one minute on this subject because it, it is kind of saddening and disheartening to see people with Alzheimer's In that decline, that cognitive decline. Mm -hmm. And, you know, people with Down syndrome are 50% more likely to get early onset of Alzheimer's by the time they're in their 50s or 60s. So we really, really need a cure for Alzheimer's sooner rather than later. Um, But one day there was, you know, it was really hot. It's in Woodland Hills. It was like in the hundreds, you know, one of those Mm -hmm. sticky kind of days. And even though we were in a building, we couldn't feel the heat you know, the natives were kind of restless. They were just like, people were angry. They were like people saying things. And one woman started crying and telling us she had to get back to her home in England. We need to take her to her flight. Another woman tried to take Owen's phone and he's like, mom, mom. And I'm like, it's okay, Owen. I said, you know, they have Alzheimer's. I said, it just, it's okay, we'll manage. We get in the car and I said, Owen, you do know what happened, what, what's going on with them, right? And he goes, I go, you know what Alzheimer's is, right? And he said, yeah, mom, it's a disease that hurts their brain. And he said, and it's really sad and it's really disheartening. And I just literally, I was like, he gets it. Yeah. He understands. He does. And it was, it was just a moment where I thought, he's going to be okay. This kid knows how to embrace life, how to embrace yeah. the sad parts of life and the happy parts. But I made him do this so that he could get experience. And it turns out he loved doing it. You know, like... I'm kind of the puppet behind the you know the the curtain because if he wants to do things I have to start putting the the ro- the blocks in place for it so going back to UC Davis so we apply and he was sure he was going to get in right I think because he's always had this sort of magical life where good things happen mm-hmm. so we we got out of there were over a hundred applicants we got an interview so we went back up to UC Davis and he was so excited me and my husband went with him. And he had this interview where he went and interviewed by himself. And I was like, uh-oh, oh, I can't control what he says in the interview. Yeah. <laughs> but so he comes out and he was like, I was really confident, mom. I did what you said. I was like, "I sit and I said, okay. And I'm like, all right. So, you know, we get home. I'm thinking this is good. Maybe he got in. There's only 12 spots. They interview 30 kids. I mean, it's like a typical kid trying to get into Harvard, right? Yeah. So he gets the email and... I go, okay, let's open it. And I'm thinking, I hope he got in. Well, he didn't get in. Yeah. And he was like, his face started to fall. And he said, and I said, you know what, Owen? Not every kid got into every school they wanted to get into, even their top choice. So you learn to live with disappointment and we do what they said. They said, apply again next year. We like your skills. We think there might be a place for you in the future. I said, so you need to look at it as every person is disappointed at some point in their life. Right. And he thought about it and he's like, you're right, mom. You're right. Okay. So what do you have to do now? So then, you know, and this is where I think the universe works out because my book came out. Uh-huh. He could not have been at the five book signings I had if he was up at UC Davis, right? No, he could not have. <laughs> That's true. He could not have been here to for you to me him for the podcast. Could he? No, he no. would not have been here for it. Right. So I really feel like the universe had our back on this one.
1: I think it almost always has your back anyway. Yeah. Because exactly what you described about being laid off twice now pushed you into writing this book. Mm-hmm. And I guarantee you the book is going to help so many people. Uh, like you said, the, the fifth grade teacher said educators should read this book. Mm-hmm. I really think they should. Uh, I We had educators in elementary school literally in a parent-teacher conference just shake their head and say, I don't know what you're going to do about Isla. And I'm thinking, you're a teacher. <laughs> You're a teacher. You can't have a conversation with my kid. You can't look at her peer group. The people that she's, the the children she's gravitating toward are in the highly gifted programs. Mm -hmm. She's clearly very smart. She just doesn't read like everybody else, which to me doesn't matter. And I couldn't understand why these teachers who were... Some of the most revered teachers at our elementary school, everybody wanted their kids in that class, in mm-hmm. that teacher's class, yep. would literally be like, I just don't know what you're going to do with her. And I just thought, you just are either dumb or not a good person or really have the wrong priorities as a teacher. They should be learning so much more than read and write and arithmetic in third grade. You know what I mean? Well, where's the—so here's what I understand is, The the fact
0: that the district kept, you know, they kept kids like ours Mm -hmm. out of the high performing elementary schools, right? Uh That's why there was no kid with Down syndrome at our elementary school for a long time. Yeah. And my thing is, how is the world going to understand our kids if they are not in the landscape? Right. And my whole, you know, as a reluctant advocate, I guess I'm an advocate because I have to be, I have to put him in the landscape. He Mm -hmm. has to be in front of all of you. and. it's funny because um, right before we moved, there was one night we went walking down Ventura Boulevard. I was house sitting for somebody and Owen was with me. And I just said, come on, let's go walk up to the pizza place you like. And we'll just walk down. It was a beautiful summer night. And, you know, there's that area of Ventura Boulevard where um, there's the restaurants. I'm trying to think of the like name. Like the counter and. Further down. Okay. Um, by, um, what is it? Mm-mm-mm-mm-mm. It's just the next block over kind of by CPK yeah. and then further up there. Yeah. And so we're walking through and and I always have this thing I do now because I see the way people respond to Owen. Mm-hmm. There's people that look at him and they can't stop staring and they just stare. And I wait and I catch them and I look at them and I give them a big smile. And the people who don't know what to do with that look away and they're super embarrassed. Mm-hmm. And then there's the people that I know, know somebody like my kid or has been around people like my kid because when I give them that like big smile, they smile back and they not. And it's just funny how I see those people are so afraid of my kid Mm -hmm. to this day because they have not been around people with special needs.
1: Right. And that is because they're not in school. Yeah. They're not in school. Because where do you learn? You learn when you're little. You learn to accept those people when you're in kindergarten,
0: when it doesn't matter. Yeah. When there's no... You know, I don't know. There's just, there's such a bias mm-hmm. to so many people by the time they're, you know, all it's all set in place by the time you're in middle school and high school, so right? So true. <laughs> it's elementary
1: schools where you have the opportunity mm-hmm. to do that. And actually the academics should not be so rigorous that a teacher can't handle that in a certain right. way. You know what I mean? That's the thing that the, what I kept hearing was I don't have time to focus on her and I'd go, well... Okay, Um, but can you figure out a moment in the day or something that she can do that helps her thrive? In the con, there's gotta be something, an exercise. Um, The Pledge of Allegiance, I don't know. There's something in your daily routine. She had one teacher that did the most brilliant thing in fourth grade. Uh, This one teacher um, had two kids, one that was terrible at math and mine who was terrible at reading. And she partnered them and oh, and she allowed them to talk about the assignments to each other in class where no one else could talk in class, right. but Isla and her friend could talk and they actually helped each other with their weaknesses because they were exact opposites. And her mom and I both have said that was their best year in school all the way wow. through. So they lifted each other up. And we're inspired to collaborate in their learning in that from that one teacher just saying, oh, no, I got this. I may not be able to sit with your child and help her read, but this child can and this child is thriving and this child is happy to help her because your child is helping that child with her math.
0: And don't you love when you find those
1: teachers? Yes. Don't they just like they're that teacher that you just adore? Yeah. Yeah. And makes a mark that lasts forever, yeah. and where I can say to Isla, "Remember what she did." That's that's what you. We all need teammates in life that complement mm-hmm. us in in every capacity, you know. Everybody can't be just like me because then there's no new ideas. A new idea comes from someone who's not like you. And so finding complimentary people who can help you with your weaknesses and your strengths help them out is a huge lesson forever. I think it helps you form really good friendships and work partnerships and teaches you to evaluate yourself and not in a judgmental way, but in a way to say, we all have strengths and weaknesses. Look at my friend here who has the opposite thing that I have. Right. You know, not everybody is performs as a gifted child. Those gifted children had other challenges. Yep, some some of them social, some of them not athletic, some of them not musical, fill in the blanks, Some of them, you know, just didn't process the world in a different way. Some of them thought their little poop didn't stink. And that's <laughs> it. that is also, in some ways... And some of them are COVID kids. Like, yeah.
0: I feel like my daughter has really struggled with that. You yeah. know what? I feel like... So, you know, I was—I always thought I'd have really academic kids because I was very academic. Yeah. (laughs) And um, you know, my first child had Down syndrome, so there you go—that set the bar. Um, And my other two are—we're in sports, so that's—I have uh, my daughter, and then I have a younger son who's a basketball player. Mm -hmm. But funny enough, and I I was curious what you thought about this because you have kids the same kind of the same age as mine, right? So your oldest is my oldest, yeah. yeah. I feel like the whole COVID thing messed with my two younger kids mm-hmm. worse than anybody. For sure. Like, I know everyone said, oh, like the poor three, four, five-year-olds during COVID or what four and five-year-olds that it affected so much. Mm-hmm. I'm like, no, those kids are resilient. Mm-hmm. They don't they don't have much to go by, right? Mm-hmm. But I think about, you know, and my daughter's struggling a lot right now. And my, I think my younger son is too, but he just doesn't show it as much. Mm-hmm. But I realized looking back, I thought it hit them seventh, eighth, ninth grade. Okay, so my son was in seventh grade, my daughter was in eighth, in ninth. It was sixth and seventh, or seventh and eighth, and then ninth. So I think about it for two years. We kept them in our house. Mm -hmm. They were not allowed to see anyone physically outside the family unit. You know, I mean, that was just kind of what we were told to do, and we did. I'm a rule follower. Mm But not only that, we told them, don't go six feet near anybody. Don't hug anybody you Mm -hmm. don't know. And don't look at anybody the wrong way. Don't sneeze. And God forbid, don't ever, you know, put your tongue down someone's
1: throat. For how
0: many years did we tell them? The most formative years for our kids, right? Mm -hmm. And it pains me to see them where they still like to be in their room. Mm -hmm. They don't have any, I don't see them forming relationships Mm -hmm. in the same way we were. I mean- By high school, we were all like, oh my God, that cute boy over there. Like, I don't, it scares me a lot Mm because I think that might be the generation of kids that got hurt the most.
1: I think you're right. I think Isla being in uh, eighth and ninth grade Mm -hmm. when this happened, um, she didn't get to graduate. Yep. She didn't get to be the big boss of the school, Mm -hmm. eighth graders. Yep. And then- She lost her freshman year, which Mm -hmm. is when you start sussing out who people are and who do you want to be friends with for all of high school. So she didn't get to do those two social pieces and stayed in her room. She developed a lot of anxiety. She was actually became scared in her room and then scared outside of her room. I mean, uh, we were like, well... (laughs) You're scared in and out for different reasons. And it was all from the pandemic, I Mm -hmm. think. She was also predisposed to a little anxiety, but the the pandemic just made it so much harder. And Georgia being that this was her sophomore, junior year, Mm -hmm. she'd already formed friendships freshman year. Same with Owen. Yeah. (laughs) And then senior year, with some friendships, picked up where she left off. And with some friendships... She shifted and became very connected with those girls mm-hmm. in her senior year. Like, like, almost like the desperate, I haven't right. seen you for two years and now I can't right. let you out of my sight. <laughs> right. I'm going to eat, sleep, drink, breathe, <laughs> right. everything you, you know, it was so intense. And Isla just Isla just kind of showed up sophomore year going, I don't know any of these girls. She went to a brand new school for high school where she knew Nobody, no one from her middle school went to her high school. So I hear you and I agree with you. I think it is really hard. I I was watching Footloose not long ago and Isla <laughs> came in. I was like cleaning. I just right. put something on the TV to keep me company, right? And who doesn't and, love Kevin Bacon? Who, who doesn't, doesn't love Footloose? And this, So she was like, what is this movie? And I said, it's Footloose. And I was like, I hate to say this, but I don't think you will un- ever understand the, the, excitement when this movie came out Mm -hmm. and the window of this part of our lives as Gen Xers and actually even before of how big a deal prom was Mm -hmm. and who's going to ask me and what are you going to wear? And because prom for them is all about friends. Mm -hmm. And well, I'm going to go with my friend and I'm going to wear pants and like Converse tennis shoes. And I was like, oh, that pageantry, so to speak, of prom they're not. They don't. They're not interested in. But I, I wonder if part of it is that they were in the pandemic and they were in their sweats, and that going from the sweats to the sequins is a little too big of a jump because then they're exposing themselves. If but they're it's, pretty, it's, it's also know?
0: the the relationship part I talk about, uh-huh. like with Owen. in though he Down syndrome, the kid loves the ladies. Like, yeah. And he was so excited to take his friend Lauren to prom. Yeah. And it was the couple's thing because you remember how prom was like, oh my God, who am I going to go with? Like, it's like you spent your whole high school years thinking about it for your senior year. Yes. And there was that, that romance about it. Even Uh if you went with someone, you weren't romantically involved. And I feel like now our kids for the younger, the younger kids, it's safety in numbers. Uh Uh-huh like they don't want to actually be alone with one other person whether no. it's the same sex or a different sex like i feel like that and and with owen i feel like you know he said to me mom you know i really want to have a girlfriend i want to get married one day Aww. and i was like well you will just yeah. you know but but he didn't lose the magic of that mm-hmm. because he had gotten to past that point of the middle school years mm-hmm. and i just it it breaks my heart cuz i feel like there's how are
1: they going to overcome that I wonder that, too, a lot, because I was so into boys. And, you know, I don't care if g- people are into whoever they're right, into, exactly. but either. you're into uh, being in a relationship. You right. know, I want to feel those things. I, I want to can't wait for him to kiss me. And when is he going to call me? And all that excitement and intrigue and mystery. That was part of the, like you said, romance. Yeah. And I I think that that's too out there a little bit too vulnerable, mm-hmm. maybe it's just a little too out there for them. Um, for for what I observe now, maybe it's different in different parts of the country. Maybe it's different for other people, but I hear that a lot from people who have kids our age, our mm-hmm. senior in high school's age, is that they're just like can't get past a certain point. And I wonder too, you're going to go off to college, and and then after, co- I mean, all these, all of this is practice. Right, mm-hmm. It's all practice for when you actually find someone you really love. And if you haven't practiced right. failing at relationships yeah. or being made a fool of or making a fool of someone else, whether it be on purpose or not, and having to own those mistakes and overcome them and figure out how to behave differently, what do you do when you finally do meet someone? Or will you ever? Because you've yeah. never been brave enough to to jump into a relationship. I mean, did you ever have a relationship where you go, oh, this is not the right guy for me, but I'm doing it anyway. And then you go, okay, that wasn't the right, right. guy for me because of A, B, C, D, right. note to self. And then you learn about yourself. It's really about learning about yourself. Well, then somebody told me that like what kids are doing are like, they're, they're doing hookups.
0: Yeah. They're just I guess. Like, yeah. and I'm thinking like, okay, how, where, what? And I guess there's all these eight dating apps. I mean, I've been married to my husband for a bazillion years. I don't, I wouldn't, You could, I couldn't even tell you what the dating apps were because I've never had to get on them. Right. Um, but I'm like, hookups? Like, it just, I, I'm so shocked by this new, not- and then I'm like, I don't even know if my kids get out of the house enough
1: to even, Hook up. No, if they're hooking up, right? Like, right. they're just not outside my house. Right. It's a detachment. I think what yeah. they had to do in COVID was detach. It's too painful to try to be attached to someone you're not going to see for indefinitely. Right. You know, you just have to detach from your expectations, from your relationships, from your feelings, probably, in a lot of ways. Uh, or the feelings would cause a lot of anxiety, which also, in some ways, anxiety is, is about not being in present time it's about when you're anxious you're worried about the future you know you're worried about what's next it's not present time which is it is what it is I'm going to go play another round of Monopoly with my family and they'll be there or I'll be there when when this is over but anxiety is about that when and you're not in in present time so and funny enough like okay so I like
0: anxiety is the worst but I think my anxiety has progressed to panic attacks and and crippling disorders as I get older.
1: <laughs> really? Just, well, just like you know, I mean, I didn't know you had anxiety. Yes. Sorry if I was speaking out of turn. I live with two. I live with three people who have a lot of anxiety, panic attacks. That exactly that, like well, heart with, racing, like body. Well, and
0: that's the thing is, I never had them until I think. Well, I guess probably perimenopause. I would say maybe mm. in my forties, mm. but I think, and part of it could have been. Having a child with a disability, having someone with Down syndrome, a baby, and then like a post traumatic stress kind of thing. So mine is I can't drive over overpasses that look like they're gonna, like they're tilted, right? Uh So, and and I kept thinking, where did this come from? I drove across the country from Michigan to to LA when I was in my twenties. Like I didn't look at Google Maps to make sure I wasn't gonna hit an overpass or a bridge I couldn't drive. All right, but it just seemed like I was driving over. I think it was one of the overpasses like on the two, you know, the two that goes uh-huh, up to all yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not hard, but when you get on, I just felt like I was going to fall off. Wow. And I'm thinking I'm in a car. If my, I could fall off and die. And, and then the minute you have that, like my, I, I had a cold sweat, my heart was racing. I'm like, I can't drive over that again. And then the minute you can't drive, you think I can't do it because I'll have a panic attack. It be, looms so large in your life right? that you're like, okay, I'm going to find every workaround to right. never have to drive over that again. <laughs> and I've, it's taken me a long time, but I've sort of tried to work through some of those because there was one day Owen had a special Olympics at the crack of dawn, seven in the morning. And where was it? Oh. It was in La Crescenta. Oh. And I said, Derek, I'm going to take Owen. he's got to get there. And he literally was like, "The when I left, he tried to call me on my c- his cell phone because he was like, you're going to have to drive though. <laughs> right. And I just, you know how sometimes you think life or death, man, I got to do it. Yeah. So I just did it. And I was like, that wasn't as hard as I thought it was going to be. Right. I still can't drive over a bridge. Don't put me, I cannot drive over. Like, you know, I grew up in Michigan. We used to drive over the Bay Bridge, over the yeah. Great Lakes. Yeah. But I could not drive a bridge right now. How about that? And you know, it becomes crippling in a way because I have to rethink where I drive. Mm-hmm. Like when Tess was doing volleyball, my daughter, she would have these early morning meets in Orange County. And you know, in San, Di- like on the way to, to, in San, like when you get to Irvine, San Diego, some of these over to get off the freeway, they're up, 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 around, around, around and yeah. down. Yep. And I look at it and I'm like, Oh my goodness. So I passed the exit. She goes, Mommy, you're supposed to get off there. I'm like, I know. I know. Give me a couple minutes. Let me see if I can redo this. And right. she's like, and so then I just went one more and it was not as bad. And I went over it and she's like, Good job,
1: Mom. Good she job. She knew exactly what it. was going on. That's so funny. Do you think anything? Because I think about this a lot. Before I had kids, I had no fear of anything. Mm -hmm. If we are going to jump off a rock into the ocean, I'm in. If you want to ride dune buggies in the sand, I'm in. And I grew up doing all kind of stuff like that. As soon as I had babies, I was like, nope. Yep. I will not be doing that. And it wasn't even like a choice. It was an instinct. It was like butterflies, like heels dug in. I will not be doing that. Mm -hmm. Um, Do you think it has something to do with that? I think it's, I I do think that's a huge part of it because
0: suddenly you know these babies, you are their, you know, you're You're in your nest, man. They're your your little baby birds. But I actually think a lot more of my, and and again, everything else comes in play. I was the breadwinner. Mm -hmm. So I had to go to work every day. My husband stayed home with the kids Mm -hmm. and there were trips I had to go on to. So my little, maybe I have fear of turbulence flying became, I have to go to Toronto for a two week trip away from my kids. Oh Oh my God. I hope I get there. Okay. I hope everything goes okay. But it was like this panicky fear that sort of sat at the base of my chest of Mm. like, but I have to do it because I have to pay the bills and this is my job and this is what I do. And I think it's just, it builds, you know, what do they say? Anxiety is more of a long-term kind of thing. And, panic attacks are more singular events. Mm-hmm. And and I actually in my book I do address like the whole a whole thing on mental health of like the first year I had Owen I cried every single day. Why mm-hmm. me? Why me? Everyone else around me was having all these typical babies and my husband like found a therapist for me. It took me forever to call her and go see her. And Why? I saw her for a year.
1: Why did it take you forever to call her? Because you, you know, I grew
0: yeah, but I grew up with this stigma. You know, I grew up in the Midwest with a family that didn't believe in therapy and you know, just suck it up, man. <laughs> You're good. Um, we're very Catholic. Um,
1: you know, you should religion is is key. Um, well, that's really interesting to me, Suzanne, because you have taken the stance of just doing what you need to do to get Owen in the right place. So I would mm-hmm. imagine that was a huge shift in you to to go from that where you came from mentality of no 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 just grit your teeth, get through Mm -hmm. it to I'm gonna get some help. I'm gonna I'm gonna get this is not like I can I can have some help here. I need to get some help. Yeah. That was a that had to be a big shift. A lot of people never are able to make that shift. Yeah. And I wonder if that first shift led to all the other pieces. Not that you wouldn't have fought for Owen or fought for him to be included, but I wonder how that one shift affected if at all Anything else going forward? Uh, You know, I really think it did. I think it
0: did. And I'll say because one of the things that... So this therapist had dealt with parents of kids with special needs. So, or kids... She had done uh, groups of moms who had kids with Down syndrome specifically. Okay. And we got her from a woman at UCLA gave me her number. And so when I got to the first therapy session... She knew what Down syndrome was. I didn't have to spend an hour just explaining what it was. Mm-hmm. And it was like, whew, she gets me. Yeah. She automatically gets me. She knows everything. And as a friend of mine said, you saved about four therapy sessions right there. Right, yeah.
1: exactly.
0: <laughs> and so one of the things is like, I, you know, it, you know how the whole thing of like, you feel like if one one thing happens and you feel like the, the other shoe's gonna drop, something else bad is gonna happen. Yeah. And that's where I feel like my panic just started. Like, oh. okay, we had a kid with Down syndrome what makes me think something else bad isn't going to happen? What makes me think something else bad? And I was having these like, you know, thinking bad things were going to happen all the time. And she said to me, bad things happen to good people, but not all bad things happen to all the time. Yeah. You know, it, they just happen. Yeah. Just deal with it and move on. Mm-hmm. But she, so she said to me, why don't you bring Eric to one of your session, therapy sessions? And I was like, eh, I don't know. Cause like, you know, you just think like, what are you going to tell him? Like this is our safe space, yeah. right? Um. So she he came in and she said to him, "You know, your wife feels like it was her fault that Owen had Down syndrome. Like maybe it was something she could have prevented. This and that, and like because you know you go through all that. Yeah, I would. Imagine. We know it's totally. There's nothing you can do. It's just literally a fluke of nature. Mm-hmm. Um. But when you hear people all the time say, "Oh, did you do something wrong? Like you know, it's just the ignorance of people. And and to be honest. I just never thought I was going to have a child with Down syndrome. So, you know, it just didn't. But anyway, so Eric comes in and he had Owen with him. So Owen was playing on the floor. And I I would talk about this in my book. And she said, well, she thinks it's her fault, like something or she feels bad about it and this and that. She said, what do you think? And Eric said, well, out of the millions of sperm that could have won the race, Owen won. You know, there could have been a million typical kids. He won the race. He got life. This kid is deserves to be here. He's amazing, and I was literally like, "Wow, I never thought of it that way." Right?
1: That's a good way of looking at it, right? right?
0: So it it did imperceptibly it changed how I thought of it. Like right. just all of a sudden, I was like, "Yeah, he's supposed to be here." Yeah, and just just that little bit, just for everything. Then I was like, "Okay, let's let's." do this. Like there is, and I feel like everything that has happened in our lives, there's a reason it's happened. There's a reason we moved to the city to go to this school and it didn't happen. And you know what? There were five other kids that ended up going to that school with Down syndrome after Owen. You know, like there is, you know, we're all quiet advocates Mm -hmm. in some way. We all are like, you know.
1: (laughs) But yeah, you know, walking your path, walking your path as an odd authentic person as who you're truly meant to be, right? Mm-hmm. You see, this child was delivered to you, mm-hmm. right? This was clearly your path, mm-hmm. you know, like it, love it. This was your path. Mm-hmm. It, And so when you embrace that and you do your very best work, which is what I've seen you do always, I've never, we didn't, like I said, we were not super close in middle school. I've never seen you in a bad mood. I've never seen you without a smile. I've never seen you unhappy. Actually, the, the times I saw Owen through middle school, I never saw him in a bad mood. I never saw him unhappy. He was always social and happy to be there. And mm-hmm. and that inspires other people to walk their path by you walking your path in such a gracious an open and full way. As from the outside looking in, I've always thought you to be a very full family, Mm -hmm. Uh, very full. And so that five Down syndrome students followed Owen is proof that you were just walking the path you were supposed to be walking on, right? Because that's why we're here. We're not just here to live in a vacuum. We're here to help each other. in whatever way that is, if you are, um, you know, I don't know, a mechanic and you, you fix somebody's car and it changes their life, that's, that's part of your purpose. You know, right. my dad's been a mechanic his whole life and people may think that's a simple job. He gets people to and from work yeah. every day by keeping their car in the road. Yeah. That's really important. And those people may be going to jobs that are saving other people's lives. 100% because we all matter. Yeah. And our, my dad was the best, best mechanic for miles and miles. And his being the best inspired other people to be the best. Mm-hmm. So. And this, it's rare to find a really good mechanic. Isn't it? It's impossible. <laughs> yes. Don't think I don't call him and go, so anyway, this guy in LA just told me, daddy, and he'll be oh like, oh, oh that's not right. Okay, on the search, the search <laughs> continues. Um, but but it, it's funny that, and I appreciate what you said about
0: what you, my demeanor, because I do really feel like some of those years when I was working my corporate jobs, I call them the angry years, right? Mm. Because I felt like there was so much on my shoulders. Mm. And I felt like not only was the work, but it was just, and in some ways, as much as I was like, it was because I'd come home and the house was a mess and the dishes weren't done and all this stuff. But I, on reflection, Mm -hmm. I feel like because I wasn't doing what I was supposed to be doing, mm-hmm. I wasn't on the right path. I was on a path mm-hmm. and I was supporting my kids. Mm-hmm. But when I got laid off from my the, the last like corporate job I had, I started consulting. And you know, consulting, I mean, for a year we didn't make any money, but yeah. I just kept saying, it's okay, we're gonna be fine. And I mean, I went from a big salary with benefits to now we have to pay for our own benefits and we have no money coming in. But it worked. Yeah. And then I started saying, now I need to write. I need to be writing. Uh-huh. And I, I ended up consulting for Sony for a couple of years, writing journalism stories for them, which was great because I was writing. yeah. And it just felt like I aligned myself a little bit more closer to the path that I was supposed to be on. And then now, like, I literally look, look at this book and think, wow, I actually completed something out of the chaotic mess that was like, <laughs> and in fact- my desk at work was always so messy and I could feel when bosses would come in and they would literally cringe looking at my desk. Mm-hmm. But they'd ask me for something. I'd be like, it's right here. Yeah. And, and And when I put on events, they were always fantastic and meticulous, but I always have this like chaos on my desk. And I just think like, That's just how my brain works. Like I have to have that mess. And funny fact: I was reading the book um, "Untangled," I think it is. Uh Did you read that one? Mm -hmm. Great book. And I was just telling—I was talking to a friend of mine about this the other day. She was saying how she couldn't stand that her daughter's room was such a mess, like like whirlwind, chaotic mess. And I said, "Oh no, no, no! Do not disturb that because they need that chaos. That is their comfort right now." Like it, there's a, there's a whole chapter in the book where she talks about mm-hmm. when you're a teenager, your mind is a mess. Mm-hmm. You're trying to figure it out and you don't, you need that chaos. Your room is your sanctuary. Mm-hmm. And I thought about it, I like, thought back to my childhood and I was like, yep, I was the same way. Yeah. My room was always a whirlwind mess, but it was my mess. Yeah. And it was my chaos. Yeah. And I knew exactly where to find the comfort spots
1: in it. Mm-hmm. I was that way too as a teenager. I was a complete mess. I am not that way so much now. But as a teenager, I was that way. I was really bad. And I have a teenager right now that is a a mess too. However, I have to give a footnote slash caveat to what you're saying. Mess and garbage are two different things. (laughs) That child has garbage in her room. Like where I'm like, girlfriend, you got to take out the garbage. And what about the plates? The plates with food on it drives me crazy. The plates and the like... And the
0: half-filled half cans garbage. of whatever. And I'm like, should I call you a hoarder
1: now? That's what I just said. I just said, this is like an episode of Hoarders. Okay, we have just the garbage. Just take the garbage out. She did that six bags of garbage came out of her room. I don't even know where all half this garbage was. I think some of it was under her bed. That she just started throwing it under her bed so oh I wouldn't see God. it, you know? But I hear ya. The, that, but, and they I, you. They know, need that control of that environment. Yes. And Tess is
0: very creative, uh-huh. like Isla too, yeah. very creative brain. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, she, she said, it turns out, like I found out about a year ago, I guess, that she said, mom, when I read, I don't form pictures in my brain. I don't, when I read, I don't have images of what I'm reading. And I was like, oh my goodness. Like then some, we got to figure what, out what that is. And so, consequently i'm like how did you get by until your senior year without being able to read right and so we got her in therapy which has been a blessing and she's just she's she doesn't fit the stereotypical child like everyone else she doesn't want to go to college she wants to create art Mm -hmm. she just painted a room the other day this is a girl who literally if i asked her to do something won't do it but she wanted to go to home depot find the paint get the thing you know youtube how to do it all Painted a room. She's been doing these amazing pieces of artwork. Amazing. She was in the advanced. um uh She was doing ceramics. Mm-hmm. She was in the AP ceramics class at her high school, and her art teacher said she's phenomenal. Like, just, and I keep saying this is where you have to go. This way, you have mm-hmm. to you have to fight for what you're good at doing. But totally. But again, COVID. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't want to do anything. I don't. It, it, the anxiety. Prevents our kids sometimes, at least I feel, from moving in a direction where they feel capable.
1: Right. I think you're right. And I think, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's going to be interesting to see where this generation is in five years Mm -hmm. when they're out of college, right? Because they'll be out of college by then as a generation you know, not at maybe our Thank kids. Thank God she doesn't want to be a YouTuber at this point. I know, right? Didn't all your kids want,
0: my kids were like, I'm going to be a YouTuber and make a bunch of money.
1: No, my <laughs> kids never wanted to do that because their dad is so public. Oh, that's true. They were like, pass. <laughs> I don't want anybody to know me at all. That's true. Um, Yeah, they just they just wanted to be, uh, and they are pretty normal, but they just wanted to be really normal kids, which makes me really happy. Georgia just got a job on campus. Nice. And her dad was like, she's got a job we can pay for everything and i was like dude it's not about the money she's 19 Mm -hmm. she needs a job i was paying for my own college me too all through college let the kid have a job she's working three days a week it's fine and it's
0: not it teaches them time constraints it teaches them discipline yeah it
1: teaches them how to manage their schedule know, And I said, aren't you proud of her that she wants a job? And Bert's response was, I've never wanted a job my entire life. What person in her right mind would want a job? And I was like, mostly everybody else, just not you, because you're just not regular. Um, and you do have a job. Bert works harder than anybody mm-hmm. I've ever known in my life, except he works at what he likes. He has a brand. That well, is his job. Yeah, but I mean... <laughs> boy's not going to do laundry and put it away. Right. He's not going to. That laundry will rot in a pile and he'll throw it out and buy more before he'll do laundry. And so you go, okay, well, that's his, that's his distinction. Right. Is that those kind of like executive function skills are not his strong suit, but he can write jokes about anything and he can stand on stage in front of people and, and entertain. Which and, most people cannot. I, I, yeah. And by the way, we we don't need everyone to be
0: housekeepers, because if we no. did, what would this world be?
1: Not very clean. Very clean, but maybe boring. <laughs> right. Maybe pretty right. boring. So what do you think, someone, why would I read this book if I don't have a Down syndrome child? Uh, let's see. That's a good question.
0: Because um, I'm going to read it. Other than you know me and you want to read it. Yes. Um, let's see. So. I think one of the things is it's not just about having a child with a disability. Mm -hmm. It's kind of a, it's a story about a mom who's going along and then got a diagnosis Mm -hmm. and just sort of um, the lessons that came along with it. Mm -hmm. And every parent has, learns lessons throughout raising kids, Mm -hmm. regardless. I mean, Like I said to a friend of mine, everyone gets a diagnosis somewhere, whether it's cancer with a parent or one of their kids or an accident or, you know, there's always going to be something. There's Mm -hmm. always going to be trauma. And I think what I love about so much about this book and what friends have told me that they love about it is that it's about how I looked inside myself and said, I am going to manage this. I'm going to make him a part of society I'm going to give him the life, a magical life Mm -hmm. and for whatever that looks like. And some people may look at him and go, "Yeah, well, he has down syndrome. He has a disability, you know, but I think about the people he's touched. Mm -hmm. I think about how he draws people to him. Like I always say ever since we had him in class, fully included, there was always the kids who found him. There was those kids that didn't care, but the kids that found him, are still to this day, always call him. They wanna see him. He'll call friends at colleges across the country somewhere. And I'll be like, who are you talking to? Oh, Aiden, you know, this kid he's known since second grade. And they're like, oh, and, and it's like when they call, when he calls them, you can hear this delight in their voice Aww. because it's like home, right? Yeah. Like, so there's something, it's, it's hard to explain, but he's just always been my teacher. I mean, it took me a long time to recognize that, but because of his simpleness, the simplicity, the way he lives his life. I mean, this kid, like, he doesn't know what it means to be jealous. I asked him one day, he's like, was that word mean, mom? Mm. He doesn't know how, I said, "Oh, and do you hate anyone? He said, mom, why would I hate someone? He doesn't live, you know, that yesterday is yesterday. He loves to revisit memories, but he doesn't like, you know, I'll say, oh, why would I do that? And I'll, I'll like rework something in my mind I did 10 days ago. He doesn't, it's gone. Like he lives in the moment. Mm-hmm. And that's so rare for anybody to really achieve that. It's beautiful. And it's it's a life that every, I wish, like, I feel like for whatever reason, God was like, you need this human in your life to teach you to to try to live in the moment. And it's taken me, I'm 56. It's taken me this long to finally get to doing what I think is like my life's work. Um, but he's so Zen Mm -hmm. about his life and I, you know, there's a, there's a, the lucky few is one of sort of the taglines that we say, because parents who have a kid with Down syndrome, we consider ourselves the lucky few. Mm -hmm. And I feel blessed. I feel so lucky that he's, that I get to live with them every day and wake up to him. And, and, you know, when he was younger, he had like, we started noticing when he was about 10 or 11 or 12, at least one time a day, he'd say, today is the best day ever. Ah! And he'd say it every day. Every day. And I was like, wow, I got to look at life that way too. Heck yeah.
1: <laughs> that is a great thing. Today's the best day ever. Mm-hmm. We should all say that every single day. I'm going to start saying that and too. Live that like, and live it that way. And live it that way, yeah. You
0: know, sometimes we have those days, but he and kids with Down syndrome have a way that they go through motions. Like, look, everyone says, oh, they're, they just love everybody all the time. No, they, they get mad. I've yeah. seen him get mad at his brother, I've seen him try to take his brother down. <laughs> um, but his brother Axel is always like, you know, it, it's fun to watch the three of them together, Tess yeah. Axel and Owen. But Owen will get like, when we had a f- friend of ours pass away, it was my mother-in-law's best friend and she was almost a hundred. Oh, wow. And after my mother-in-law passed away, Owen would call her and she was 95 years old. He'd call her once a month. Hi, Bernice, how are you? It's Owen. They'd have a long conversation for like 10 minutes and she loved when he would call him. and And that's the thing, he doesn't distinguish like, oh, she's old, I can't be friends with her. So he, like, there's so many people where he's like that. He just loves to, to talk to people, to be with people. And I, I just feel like, and then when she passed away, he cried, really, really hard. Like, Aww. like, you know, body shaking, hard tears coming down for about five minutes. Mm-hmm. And then he was done. Mm-hmm. And it's like, every time something really sad has happened, he experiences emotion really, really hard and he gets through it. Mm-hmm. And what do we do? We pack it away. We try not to cry. We, we think we'll deal with it
1: later. And we never do. You're right. But they do. That's awesome. And is that something that's typical of a Down syndrome person? I feel like
0: with the friends he knows, I feel like it is. Um, I I don't know because there's also a lot of people who have Down syndrome who also have a dual diagnosis of of autism. Mm. So I think that it then becomes different in the way they might experience emotions. But for the most part, I feel like people with Down syndrome really learn. And I've heard this from other friends of mine who have a kid with Down syndrome.
1: Hmm. Well, I know kids are our biggest teachers. Mm -hmm. I agree with that so much. I've learned so much from having my kids and just observing them and applying to myself what you observe. Um, He's such a lovely young man. Thank you. I'm so happy that you wrote this book. Um, Thank you. And I'm raising Owen, it's called by, uh, tell me how to say your last name. Lizotte. Suzanne Lizotte. Um, Uh, Raising Owen, again, it's a really beautiful cover
0: too. Thank you. And that was my friend, Lisa Thomas. So I was saying, she also went, her daughter, her youngest daughter was Owen's age. When I was trying, so I was trying to get all the pieces together. I sent my book out to like 30 agents. Nobody bothered to respond. And so I was like, okay, I guess I have to self-publish this is what the next step was. So I found a small publisher. It's, I guess it's more like a hybrid publisher who helped me shepherd the book to print, mm-hmm. but I own the rights to it. So if, if some big publisher comes along and wants to help me get it out there, <laughs> larger, I could. Um, but what I, I went to my friend Lisa and I said, I don't even know where to start to find a cover designer. Do you do this? And cause I know she's designed amazing things. And she said, yeah, let me give it a shot. And it was so much fun because she gave me like 10 wildly different designs. And she said, I'm going to give them to you, print them out, put them on a book, just grab books around your house, cut it out and put it on like it's the cover of the book Mm -hmm. and then just have them randomly lying around your house and see what strikes you. And I thought that was such a great idea. So I had all these books in my office and different covers and I kept looking at them and then I came down to two and that cover, for whatever reason, and of course, you you go on these webinars and they say, don't make a dark cover because it doesn't stand out on Amazon. You know, all these ways Beautiful. to like Beautiful, What are you talking about? But to me, that cover is so magical. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's one of the things I love is that life is magical. Kids are magical, mm-hmm. no matter their disability.
1: Mm-hmm. And we ha- we just really have to see the magic in them. And parenting is magical. Mm-hmm. If you parent with uh, I think, if you parent with the desire of asking the question, who are you? Mm-hmm. Instead of this is who you are. Right. Who are you? And being able to discover that is so amazing. Don't you love watching your kids just like, I I just, sometimes I just want to
0: stare at them and watch what they say and how they, they move through their world and the things they want to talk about Mm -hmm. and it's to me, it's so fascinating.
1: <laughs> it is so cool. Being a parent's been the best thing I've ever done. I think me it too. was really great. I didn't think I'd, I'd have kids. I had no interest in having kids. Me neither. Um, none was really. <laughs> you and I are a lot more alike than we, than <laughs> we think. I literally I thought I'm going to have
0: Owen and I'm going to be done one and done.
1: Oh, no. I was like, nah. I might get married. I'll see. I'm not sure. I'm not <laughs> probably not going to have kids. I'm going to stick with my career. And then I got pregnant on the pill. So I went, oh well, God. guess what? pivot. I'll be a mom now. And once that happened, I was like, well, this is my path. Because when something like that happens, just like you having Owen, when something like that happens, then this is your path. So you can choose to walk the path or you can fight it. And when you're fighting your path, you do end up really angry and Mm -hmm. aggressive and negative and dark. Um, Maybe not dark in the like dark Marilyn Manson dark, but it's still, (laughs) it's a darkness. You know, you should, you should be You should be light or should. Should's a bad word. But the goal is, I guess, to be light as much as you can be because it's a lot easier to carry than dark. And being light inspires other people to be light also. Um, And I really think like I kind of
0: think that God kind of decided that, no, it wasn't just going to be Owen. Mm-hmm. And I think Owen made me want more kids yeah. because at the end of the day, I was like, well, I loved being pregnant. And I'll tell you right now, we did not test on Owen. That's why we didn't know till he was seven days old. And I, people always say, well, why didn't you test? Mm-hmm. And I think about it. Well, first of all, I had told Eric, like, you know, do you want to test? I'm not going to test. I'm Catholic. So regardless, I'm going to have this baby. And so he thought about it and he said, you know, I don't think our, kids should really have to pass or fail a test before they're born. I was like, good answer. Eric's awesome. So <laughs> far he's hitting like dingers. He's great. So, I so, you know, obviously we were very, um, I was thinking, oh, this is great. And I'm, you know, my family breeds. Well, I have 45 first cousins because my dad had 11 brothers and sisters. Wow. Yeah. So I don't even know all their names. That's crazy. <laughs> so, 45's a lot. Yeah. So, I really thought like, yeah, I was arrogant enough to believe I wasn't going to have a child with a disability. Mm. And, you know, sometimes, you know, you just, it's the path. Mm. And I really believe that Owen and Tess were meant to be here, or Tess and Axel were meant to be here because I feel like if I had had my last first, (laughs) I probably would have been done. Right. But I feel like I was like, no, there, I need to have it. I need to, you know, at some point, right the wrong, have a typical child. And, and with Owen, I got pregnant. The minute we started trying with Tess and Axel, I struggled more. Did you really? So I thought it was funny. And then when when I was pregnant with Axel, I was almost 41. So I had to change doctors because of insurance. Gotta love insurance. And (laughs) I went into my doctor's office and I said, I'm 12 weeks pregnant. I'm almost 41. I am your statistic. Already had the kid with Down syndrome. So you don't need to give me any lectures. And I'm not testing. Yeah. And he said- I have a grandson with Williams syndrome. They're amazing. They're gifts from God. He goes, let's have a baby. Awesome. And I was like, this is a sign from the universe. <laughs> yeah, this is the right person for me. That's right. That's uh, so cool. So I probably told you all the stories in the book by now. No, I'm just kidding. Are all these in the book? It's a couple of them. But well, You'll you, you love the ones from middle school because they're sweet. And I don't know if um, Georgia went to the dance they had eighth grade. Oh, did she? Okay. Yes, she so, did. So, you know, Owen was... Didn't want me at the dance either because he had to be just like the typical kids. Like, they'll, you know, by middle school, they're like, don't look at me, don't talk to yep. me, drop me off a half a mile from the school. Yep. And, but I said to Owen, I'm like, oh, I'm going with you. And he's like, no, you're not, mom. And I'm like, yes, I am. I'm helping in the kitchen. Don't worry, you'll never see me. Because I wanted him to be as typical as the kids and be with them. And I got to tell you, I, cry it was the most beautiful eighth grade dance mm-hmm. and I don't know if you, you I was there I and, was in the kitchen also yeah so that's yes. probably where we met or like had more time to talk because remember how we were inside and we yes. was dancing outside and the yes. roses were all there yep. and the, the balloons and we we're then, trying to peek through the window we we were, trying to <laughs> <laughs> we're we're trying, trying to <laughs> spy and it was to me one of the most sweetest moments of like graduating them into the next part of their life.
1: Mm-hmm. It was a great little dance. Mm-hmm. Do you remember the PE teacher? What was her name? She's passed away. Yes, it was. Um, and she was out there dancing. Oh, my gosh, She was cutting oh, a rug she and was she was so, in her 70s. Yes. And what she was, was throwing down. I don't remember. She was George's so teacher. funny because I thought none of the kids liked her. And then when she passed away, they were all sobbing. I know. Same. And I'm like, I
0: thought you guys didn't like her because you said she was hard. And like, Yeah, but she was really cool, Mom.
1: Yeah. Like, okay. She was an institution there. Mm -hmm. She taught so many people for so many years and everybody, she was just too hard. Yes.
0: So there was another PE teacher. um, I can't believe I'm forgetting her name. I'm so sorry. But um, she, so our first day of sixth grade, you know, when you went and you met all, went to the classroom. So it was Mm -hmm. Owen's sixth grade, you know, orientation. Mm -hmm. So we're walking around and, or it was parent back to school night. Yes. Because I remember being there walking around with Owen And all of a sudden this woman comes up to me and says, is this your son? And she starts crying. I'm like, yeah. And I'm like, why? And she goes, I just had a little boy with Down syndrome. She's like, I'm so happy to see him walking around campus. I'm so happy. He looks so great. And because the perspective new parents are getting, are still getting and we're getting is that they won't be able to do much. Right. They're going to be in a classroom, you know, like with all these other kids, they're never going to be integrated. They're never going to be included. And I'm hearing from parents still to this day that same thing. And it's like, no, people, we've got to flood the streets with our kids. we I got agree. to flood the
1: classrooms with our kids. I you know? agree. I agree. Uh, it's crazy that they're still saying that even today. Yeah. That's really crazy. It's crazy that you have to fight for your kid to get what they deserve. what they It's their right, mm-hmm. really, to be in the least restrictive environment. And, you know— of course, there are some children who who that is impossible. Of right. course, there are there are human beings on the planet that just can't function that Absolutely. way. Absolutely,
0: and it is like I said, it is every parent and every child. You have to find the right place for them. Yeah, it doesn't mean they can't. You can't still include them in the world. A hundred percent of the landscape, because typical kids need to see our kids. They need to be around our kids. Yeah, how are they going to learn more empathy for the world? How are these inclusion and diversity programs at all these you know in all, every company going to
1: work if people don't know what diversity is mm-hmm. and or people, what inclusion is. And people are afraid of things they don't understand. Mm-hmm. Things you don't, I mean, it's just like a biological piece. You, it's a survival piece to go, I don't understand what that is. And I need to not be with that. Whatever that is with that being someone that has crazy curly hair where you go, I don't understand what that is. How do you manage that? Right. Uh, the, you know what I mean? That's da, 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 I don't even talk to you about your hair. Because I can't even—I don't even know what's going on with your hair. So if you're not exposed to people and things that are outside of your wheelhouse, everything becomes scary, Mm -hmm. you know? It just becomes really scary. I know—I grew up—my mom and dad divorced when I was seven in 1977— My mom moved me to Atlanta in the middle of the gay community. So I grew up with a bunch of gay men. So I don't see any difference my whole life in gay and straight. They're just people who love each other. But then I'd go back to my dad's in a really small town, and that was so like, no, 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 no. It's really against the religion. And I go, but I don't get it. But they're not exposed to it. There was no one in our town who was... out out of the closet. There was no one in our high school who was out of the closet. You know, there are gay people everywhere in our town, but they're not out. So how am I supposed to learn? Except I got the gift of being put in a community where I got to learn. And then that
0: is just normal. Well, and the thing is, so I grew up in Michigan, right? In just outside of Detroit. And we didn't, you know, same thing. It's, you know, people don't, I, when we go back, I rarely see same-sex couples around. Totally. But my kids, where they went to elementary school, two moms, two dads, it was half their length, you know, not half, but there were a lot of kids that grew up that way. Yeah. So to my kids, that's normal. Yeah, totally. That, that's okay. Like, that's
1: accepted. Yeah. When I when I would go back to Michigan, they'd be like, what? Like, it was just like... Well, the reverse is true, too, because I took my kids to Montana once. And we went to a convenience store that was literally... Completely full of taxidermy, and they were like, "What is happening?" And I'd have to say, you know, Montana's hunters, hunting Mm -hmm. is is a game; it's a sport. Most hunters actually eat what they they kill. kill. It's a completely different mentality. It's not something you or I would ever do. We would save every animal on the planet, and then we would guess what? Not be able to live here. There'd be so many animals on the planet. So. You can't walk into their environment and go, evil. You have to walk into their environment and try to understand it.
0: Well, and the other thing, I grew up in, you know, my dad hunted, my brothers hunt. Yeah. My parents had nine kids. So how do you feed nine kids? My dad hunts deer and we would come in and the deer would be hanging there while they, you know. Dressed it. Yes. And so, but, you know, it's just... Venison was part of our, what we had to eat in the winters.
1: Venison sausage, venison chili. Mm -hmm. It's really
0: good. But the liver and onions.
1: uh. Pass. Hard pass. (laughs) We weren't allowed to pass. You had to sit there until you ate it. Oh. Yep. I don't know if I could have done that. I stay in Georgia. And we didn't have a dog.
0: That's the bummer. If we Uh. had a dog, we all could have slipped it to him.
1: All right. (laughs) All right. Well, anyway, I am very excited to read your book. Thank you. I'm sorry I didn't get to read it before you came here. That's okay. And, you know, I just want to say it's not,
0: it's not, I don't get buried in the weeds with like, this is what we did th- for therapy every day. This is what we did. Because I feel like it's really about, it's more than that. It's about a story of a time. And, you know, it's, it's not a long book. I literally have had people say they read it in two days. They couldn't put it down, which is so great. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And I just, I feel like that's, it's a little bit more of a, not so much about the day to day. It's more about my observations of my life as it unfolded with my beautiful magical child with Down syndrome.
1: It sounds like a journey Mm -hmm. as opposed to like a handbook. Exactly. It sounds like a journey, your journey with Owen.
0: And I hope people can take nuggets out of it Mm -hmm. and be like, yeah, that's how I felt. But I didn't want to overload people with, you know- the nuts and bolts of it all.
1: Uh, totally. Because everybody's nuts and bolts are going to be different anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The journey is what you really connect to, the emotional and the the kind of mental piece, not mental in math. Right. But, but me- absolutely. Yeah. The mental yeah. mental yeah. health, mental processing of it yeah. all. Well, I can't wait to read it. Well, thank you. I thank you for like coming. <laughs> so where can someone buy the book? It's available on bookshop.org, which if you do
0: bookshop, then it, you can designate a local bookstore that they'll give a portion to okay. profits. So that supports local bookstores or Amazon or barnesandnobles.com. Great. And I actually am going to have a book signing at Barnes and Nobles in Westlake Village in April of 2024. Amazing. Yeah, so I'm excited about that. Oh, and that's
1: great. Yeah, I forget the date. I don't
0: have my phone with me.
1: Well, text me and uh, I have a website. I'll put a link okay, to the cool. book on the website. Awesome. And then if you Thank give us the you. dates, we can put your signing Thank on you. the website too that. Yeah. yeah thank you yeah. so much for coming thanks so much I'm so glad we got to chat I know it's nice to see you also I know nice <laughs> to see started. you
0: That's so
1: I'm so glad Christy suggested it so thank you Christy I
0: know I'll have to tell Chris. she's like text me
1: when it's over I want to see how it went so. oh well she should have known it would have gone great because they are both really good chatty I know nice people well, but I love this I could chat all day because- well thank you Thank you. But what do we we gotta... do about Owen, though? <laughs> <laughs> well, I know we got to go start prepping. Well, it's a little too early to prep for Thanksgiving. I have family in town, so oh, we're going do? to dinner. Today's our last work day, and then we're gonna. Okay, we're so gonna... you're from Atlanta, though. You live. I'm from Georgia. I'm from a okay. small town, and also Atlanta. Okay. I, I, my parents. I really like Atlanta. I thought if I ever had to move further back east again, I'd probably try Atlanta. A lot of people really like Atlanta.
0: I can't do cold anymore again.
1: Yeah, Atlanta's cold though.
0: Yeah, but not like winter Chicago. Oh, not Detroit, like Michigan. No. no,
1: but um, yeah, I, I I haven't lived in Atlanta since ninety three. Yeah, so okay. I don't know much about it. Today, when we mm. go home, we just go to my dad's house, yeah. and it's re- really, really rural. Yeah. It's oh, okay. My hometown is really like literally. Okay, our middle school had 1,800 students. Right. My hometown is 1,600 people. Oh my God. So I mean, we go to middle school with George and I, and I go, This is my whole hometown.
0: Oh my goodness. First period is
1: my hometown. That is so funny. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? So we just go straight from the so airport. So how many people were in your high school, in your school? I graduated with
0: 74. That's it?
1: Yep. Okay, so. I feel, mine was at least 300. In your graduating class? Yeah. Our whole school was roughly 400 students, wow. uh, ninth through 12th grade. So everybody knew you, every knew everybody everybody knew everybody. everybody. I had two options for boyfriends and both of them were my third cousins. It was pretty, pretty slick.
0: I just, after high school, I just wanted to get out of Dodge. I was like, I can't be in. So I went to school in Western Michigan University which, you know, back then it was an agriculture school and it was like 20th on this list of good schools. Now it's like the the third best school in Michigan. Wow. So I'm like dusting off my diploma. It may have been 35 years ago, but whatever. But who cares? I went there. We
1: live in today, (laughs) don't we? We live in today. Yes. Yes. That's great. But yeah, so. Well, thank you for coming, Suzanne. Thanks so much. I
0: totally appreciate you. I love doing this. It was really fun. It was fun. We'll come back again and we'll talk about something else. Yes, that would be fun. Something more. We should do that. You got plenty of great time. You know when I was watching your podcast with um, Isla and Bert, and they're so cute together. Yeah, and I was like, hmm, I should write that down. We should talk about that. I should write that down. And then you were talking to Rachel Hollis, uh-huh. and you guys started talking about menopause and paramenopause. And I'm like, darn it, I could be in on that conversation. Yeah, right. I know that's the thing. We got to do is
1: we got to get some ladies together. Heck yeah, that'd be fun. Well yeah, that's what my podcast started as, was me and ladies talking about whatever we felt like talking about. And then it's kind of it shifts, I kind of ebb and th- flow in and out of what I'm interested in. Mm-hmm. So the the good and the bad about my podcast is it doesn't really have a like a theme. Yeah, but I kind of like that cuz you're not like you don't have a list of 20 questions of like No, you know. It's just about a conversation and I find that I'm a I like conversations. I'm very curious. And I love your accent. I was well, telling Christy that. That's so Christy. funny. I don't think I have one. <laughs> you do a little bit. It's not like deep South. It's there. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I don't know. I, I would love to have some girlfriends. over. Ha- I, when I moved to LA, people thought I had a Michigan accent. Well, I hear it when you say Michigan.
0: So funny enough, when people, I was like, what? What do you mean? I'm a Michigan. So when people would say that to me, I was literally like, I do not. And I wanted so badly to seem like I was part of LA, like I was in LA. Then I started changing I was like, volleyball, not volleyball. <laughs> cat, like not cat. Like I, I totally changed my A's and my O's. And now my family's like, oh my God, you sound like such a Cali girl.
1: <laughs> but you've been here a while though, huh?
0: A long, long time. Yeah, me
1: too. I left in 93. I moved here in 97. <laughs> I left in '90, 1990. Yeah, so there you go. Yeah. You so are I'm a Cali girl. I'm definitely. You've been here longer than you live there?
0: Yep. I've been here.
1: That's true. Same. I've been here
0: longer than I lived in Georgia. And what's scary is I've known my husband almost more than half my life.
1: Have I known mine for almost one? Because we dated for seven
0: years and then got married and we've been together 21 years. Amazing. 22. That's awesome.
1: Yeah. He sounds really great.
0: He's a great guy. That's great. He's a good
1: dad. Well, come back maybe with some, maybe Christy will come back and we can talk about. That would be fun. Who knows what? Yeah, have a little wine, get a little loose. I wonder
0: what Christy would say. Christy's, I love Christy. She's very,
1: she has the best laugh. She does. When you make her laugh, you feel like you've really done something. That's true, right? That's true. Have you done
0: any of her? She does yoga. So, this is how during COVID, she started doing yoga in her driveway. Yeah, I know. And so I was doing that, but then we moved. So it was too, but. She and Lisa and Jen and Christy, we have this four of us that will put these really long hikes on the book. Uh huh. So, and it started because during COVID, we just go, let's go for a walk. And we walk like five miles in the neighborhood. Cause I'm a huge, like, I can do f- plenty of hike. Like I'm a big hiker, yeah. right? Uh-huh. But not mountain climbing, hiking, like, yeah. like you can't, I get vertigo and you know, that overpass
1: <laughs> thing. Well, yeah, that's yeah. happens same. when I get up right? high. Sounds like it. Yeah. Um,
0: so, what? So, we were like, okay, let's do this hike. So, we did a couple in the night, and Christy said, let's do Bridge to Nowhere. And I'm like, Ooh, that sounds bad. But <laughs> did you say bridge? Is that <laughs> Right, <laughs> right. And so then, but I was like, okay, my feet are on the ground. I can do this. I could walk over a bridge. Mm-hmm. I just don't know if I could drive it because you know, when you're driving, you've got a 4,000 pound machine in your hands. And what if you pass out? Yeah, right. Then what happens? Yeah. And that's my biggest fear. So, we hiked this. It, I'm not kidding. It was the hardest thing that I have ever done. Five miles up to the bridge, which they built in the 30s or 40s to connect the towns of like, it's south of Azusa in the mountains there. It was meant to connect the next town over, but I guess they had some big rains and it washed out the road to the bridge. So they just left the bridge. Right. So the bridge is like pristine. It would, it would have been like a car bridge, like uh-huh. you're driving over. And it's beautiful, mm-hmm. but you have to hike you have to follow this creek and you have to ford the creek at least five times. And the water's like this deep running. And I had no idea we were being like forging a river, right? Yeah. So we didn't bring sticks. We didn't bring, and then we had to like kind of boulder climb like some areas. So serious. Some areas were like, there is a drop off and you got to climb around the mountain. Five miles in, five miles back. Wow. But it felt, I felt so accomplished. I was like, I have faced more fears today
1: <laughs> than on any other hike. I have laughed in the face of right? death and lived to tell. <laughs> lived to That's tell. great. She invited me on a hike. Uh, Switzer Falls. Switzer yes. Falls. Yes. And I, I couldn't, couldn't go. go on I don't remember. I had something going on and I was yeah. like, I just can't go because I have something going on like the next day where yeah. if I went, I wouldn't be able to do yeah. whatever. I don't even remember what it was. Yeah. But um, so our last hike we
0: did was because I'm out by. So I'm, in Westlake Village, um, and part of it is because we own a house in Malibu that we rent. So we moved that way just so we could be closer to that. But bonus, we're 20 minutes from the beach. So yeah, right? like Tesla, go, let's go watch the sunset tonight. And I'm like, okay. Let's do it. It's literally like 15 minutes over the hill. Um, so we did, I said, there's a hike that goes from from Thousand Oaks all the way to the ocean. Wow. And it's nine miles. Wow. And I said, let's do it. And so we had my husband picked us up on the way. So we hiked all the way through. And it's really kind of a flat hike. It goes down in the mountain and it's fairly flat. If you walk back up, then you have to hike back up out of the mountain. So mm-hmm. that's the hard thing. People bike ride it a lot. It ends up being 18 miles. But it was really... You know, the time just goes by. It took us an hour and 45 minutes, almost two hours. Not bad. No. Did you do that with Christy? With uh, Christy was supposed to come. She couldn't. It was me, Lisa, and Jen. Mm -hmm. So I told her we have to do it again. Yeah. So. Well, invite me on that one. We should, because you know what? You just, it's almost like this expansive time where you can talk about anything and Mm -hmm. the conversation just kind of like your podcast. It just sort of goes from conversation to conversation. Yeah. And in no time at all, you're like, oh, we're done. We're here. We we got exercise. We talked. That's awesome. Well, I we would love to join time. you sometime. Yeah, that'd
1: be great. Okay, good. I will let them know. Well, you have to call Christy or text her when we when yes. you get in the car. Well,
0: yeah. we talked about um doing one in, maybe in December.
1: Oh, good. But you travel a lot. I do, but um I'm going to be traveling next week and then this for two days in December and then I should be home until January and then I'm traveling couple weeks in January and then yeah, I'll we'll just let you know just we'll, keep me keep we'll me in the loop it sure beats doing Fryman over and over again right? I know yes <laughs> it's true and I I love being invited yeah if as long as no one minds that I have to say no often only because I have other obligations not because right. I don't want to be there right you know always I want to do everything but I know right we can't all do everything <sighs> well thank you and you have this empire you're well oh, right. hardly but I do work okay, a so lot I have a question for you yeah
0: So, are we done? Okay, we're done. I don't know. Are we done? We can be done. Oh, no. (laughs) Thank you, Suzanne. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thank
1: you.